0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Casual Watch Talk Live. This is our third episode, and I'm joined by some special guests today. I would love it if you could comment in the comment section uh, if you've got any questions. But first, I'm going to introduce our guest for today. So first off, I've got Dave from Detroit Mint. Hi, hey, Dave. Everybody. For joining us. Welcome to Detroit. <laughs> Welcome to Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. And if anybody's got any questions, I'm going to talk a bit about Dave's new watch because I've just been reviewing it today. But if anybody's got any questions at micro brand related, then definitely uh, put those in the comment section. And then my second guest, we're going to have a few joining, but my second guest is Lee, who's a member of our Facebook group. So I'll just add Lee in. Lee, thanks oh, for joining us.
1: Oh, pleasure to be here.
0: So we've got people trickling in now. So thanks to uh, all four of you that are currently watching, and as everyone trickles in, thank you once again. Well, should we kick this off with? Let's do a soft open. Should we talk about what watches we're wearing? Do you want to do a quick wrist check? Do you want? Do you want to kick us off, Lee? What What are you wearing?
1: Sure thing. I have uh, Datejust forty one on.
0: Yeah, I love that watch. I need to. Uh, i need a date just in my life my uh my op is stored safely away but i think that Uh, gray dial
1: yeah it's uh my favorite watch right now can't get enough of it just been wearing it every day is that a white dial or a meteorite dial it is a white yeah Yeah. white dial smooth bezel with the oyster bracelet so i wanted something sporty something i could use every day
0: nice and and how do you find it as an everyday watch because you do a very labor-intensive job don't you you're not a you're not a desk worker
1: <laughs> i am yeah um i i love it for every day uh, i haven't worn it at work i've been using the explorer at work um my uh, explorer 2 which is my everyday work watch uh but i wear the day just for everything else right. and I, I was actually at the pool today with my kids and it was great it is everything i need
0: do you get many people asking you about it i'm interested
1: uh i have had a few people ask me um when i'm out with my kids or when i'm just uh you know running around in my own yard uh you know picking up sticks after the storm we just had come through uh people are a little surprised that i wear it as much as i do but i i love it i mean i get the watches
0: i do specifically to wear yeah that's a good point okay dave what are you uh what have you got on Okay.
2: Uh, well, I was just getting off the boat, so I was wearing something pretty durable. So I have the, a field, which is another one of our new watches. Uh, this is a polished bezel turtle case, uh, Sapphire crystal with a Daytona fitted Daytona band, which is odd on a turtle type case, but okay. we actually machined the end links to fit onto a perfectly fit onto a turtle case. So, um, you know, it's, it's one I've been playing around with for a while. I decided to go ahead and make a limited number of them. So I had those. And then, of course, I always have a vintage watch uh, somewhere nearby, and I was wearing this one around today. So it's actually a, I don't know if you can see it, it's a Sheffield two-dial chronograph from the probably around 1970. And it actually has a a Venus movement in it, which later became the Seagull movement which is the reason why I have this, is to play around with a original uh, Venus movement.
0: Right. Wow. Um, I've never heard of that brand, uh, Sheffield, but uh, I know the the place in England well.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so Sheffield's made a lot of... um, You would always see them make sort of uh, homage watches in around 1970, and for about five years you would get skin divers uh rally watches and uh this one being the a, a chronograph with a you know a Venus movement it doesn't have a um you know like a Valjoux movement or anything like that but it's uh still I mean it's a mechanical chronograph from the you know the, the vintage that I was trying to replicate with uh with my watch so that's kind of the reason why I got it
0: cool and we've got another guest as well Stephen's going to join us Hey Stephen, thanks for joining us. Hey guys, how's it going? Good, good. How are good. you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. We were just doing our wristwatch check, so you've you've come in right at the uh, good time. What are you uh, what you're wearing today?
3: Today I have on my uh, Zenith El Primero thirty eight millimeter. Uh, this is the oh, nice. one that was recently discontinued. I guess maybe you know, six months ago, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's an awesome watch. Uh, I, I heard a little bit about, you know, what what Dave was saying. And uh, even though it's a modern chronograph, I mean, it very much feels like a vintage chronograph. And I think that really appealed to me a lot because, you know, a lot of what I collect is is vintage. So, um, you know, I definitely like modern pieces that have a vintage feel to them as well. So that that really appealed to me with this watch. Oh,
0: cool. Well, um, I suppose I'll, I'll round this out. Um, I'm wearing the the Christopher Ward again. Um, and also, I need to point out before uh, there's any... Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get comments about this. I haven't been in a fight. It looks like I've been in a fight, but I haven't. I know I look rough, but I got like a cold sore in the week. And then I tried to grow the, grow the beard a little bit just to mask it. But yeah, it's not a... I've not, I've not been fighting somebody over homage watches or a Steinhardt or anything. It's been...
2: I thought somebody sent you a shinola or something,
4: and uh... well, yeah, yeah, gave me a gave me a shiner,
0: shinola in the face. <laughs> no, it would uh, at least it was a um, yeah, it would have been embarrassing if I fell I fell over, but yeah, so it's it a call. Cool, so I thought it was going to go, but anyway, enough about uh, casual uh, medical talk. <laughs> well, Dave, it, uh, let's kick this off actually, because I'm I'm hoping that this will um, this will generate some some questions. I've just. I'm just going to add this to the stream, but I've just been reviewing your new Cobra watches. These are your bi-compacts with the seagull movement in them. Correct. And we talked a bit about this last time, but I just want you to kind of talk through, like, the inspiration for this watch. And if anybody's got any questions for Dave, like about micro brands or about these watches in particular, then let us know.
2: Yeah, so... It started with the, uh, you know, I was watching the movie Ford versus Ferrari. I get a lot of my inspiration from famous watches from uh, movies. So I was watching that and uh, Matt Damon's character was wearing a, a Heuer, uh, a vintage Hewer from around that. It was pretty period correct. Um, now, I believe that Carroll Shelby actually wore a gold Rolex Datejust. In, in reality, but uh, in that movie, they were all wearing racing chronographs, which were pretty standard, really tool watches for the guys to wear at the time. Hmm. So the one in the movie was a, uh, a panda chronograph. And when I learned about it was it was Huer was making one with a one one hundredth of a minute chronograph hand so that the guys could time their lap times in one hundredths of a minute. And so I started looking for, you know, how many of those that's kind of a unique spin on the chronograph. So I started looking for them and very few of them existed. There's the vintage hewers, which are very hard to find. And I think uh, Breitling made some as well. And um, so anyway, I went in and uh, kind of tried to design that up myself. And uh yeah we came up with with this design to put it on the the rehole or instead of just a, a flat chapter ring we actually put it up on the rehole and uh, the numbers are always in red and then uh, on the black version it's a silver uh, ring with uh, the red on it so yeah and uh, so it was kind of inspired by Ford versus Ferrari the movie and the the two main characters uh, one wore a a white and black panda. The other one wore a black uh, chronograph. And then also I was reading in one of the books uh, on famous vintage watches about uh, Carroll Shelby and his promotions that he endlessly did. And he actually had Hewer make Shelby watches in the 60s for the release of the Shelby vehicles that went out only to the 500 dealers in the u.s that sold the shelby vehicles oh wow and to my knowledge there's only a handful of you know they were like a promotional watch these dealers got them you know one of a bunch of things they've got i don't think many of them kept them so there's not a ton of them that are well documented right now so i think that was a very cool watch and it had more like a shelby cobra with the Shelby logo and everything in at the six o'clock position. So I was like, Oh, I could do a Cobra that looks like, like a D shape for the Detroit mint version. So that was thus the Cobra. thus the, the two dial chronograph.
0: Oh, well, I didn't know that about Hoya that they made those Shelby watches, but it, I suppose it makes sense. Cause Steven, we Steve, we talked about this, didn't we? About the Sears and Robux Hoyas, the traditions mm-hmm. ones. And then right. they made, they made that Abercrombie and Fitch one as well, didn't they? It was that Hoyer. I,
3: I don't know if if they made it for him, but you know, back then things were a lot different. You know, Hoyer, you think about it, put your put your mindset back into the 1950s and 60s. These were tools, you know, these were timekeeping tools. And, you know, a lot of what they were selling were for professional purposes. And, right. you know, they they were thinking more quantity over quality. Whereas now, you know, it's kind of more of a uh luxury timepiece this was a you know a true uh, professionals tool and they didn't care who they sold it to you know if we can pump out 500 of these with a promotional link to them and someone will pay us x number of dollars to do it we'll do it you know they they were not opposed to um you know using uh different brands or or marks to sell their their products um, so yeah, I mean, it's just a, just a different time. And, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at all surprised to hear that story that Dave, uh, mentioned. And I, I, in fact, I think I've seen a picture of one of one or two of those watches before. They are extremely rare, but you see a lot of co-branded Hoyers out there, uh, and, and generic models. Um, I think, uh, Leisure, in fact, uh, mm-hmm. sold, uh, uh, generic Hoyers in the 1970s. So, you know, uh, it's just a different time.
0: Yeah, do you know what? I wonder if I, I think. Let me just, just. I might have actually found found one on here. Sorry, Dave. I know we were talking about your watches here, but we've Sorry. gone off on a bit of a tangent. But there yeah, here's go. one. Yeah, yeah. Really. Which is that, wow
3: that, uh, that that same model that Hodinki recently reissued yeah. as well with that unusual That's very you know, date date marker in the nine o'clock window, and it's a I guess it's a thirty minute counter. Very unusual design. Uh, I would imagine, you know, these are outrageously expensive just because it's a very rare design already. And then it's got that, that connection with, uh, with Shelby. Uh, right. You know, it's got to be extremely rare.
2: And I believe well, that one that's shown there in that image, you see it doesn't have, I don't know if you can zoom in on the image at all, but it doesn't have a tachymeter, right? Mm. It has a one one hundredth of a minute chronograph track. Yeah, and it's outside. a forty-five
3: minute counter too. Yeah, interesting.
2: Again, I think that has to do with endurance racing lap timing.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave, on, on your one, at yours, and I've just been reviewing mine. But how difficult was it to get the one one hundredth of a minute? Because it doesn't exactly line up with the markers itself. Did was there quite a design challenge to get it to? to line up properly or to be like aesthetically pleasing because you did a good you did a great job of it I, I, I mentioned it in my review but like you say it's unusual to see that one 100th of a right yeah you know. so
2: what i was trying to do was get it close so as it's tracking you, you can't do that with the quartz you can't do it with anything that's making a, a larger tick but with the this the seagull movement the venus seagull movement it it has enough beats or ticks per second that it's it's slowly creeping around and you can really see you know if you stop it it's going to stop pretty close to one of those 100s you know and then you can go from there and then you've got a a sub dial you know racing around as well as
0: well so we've actually got our first question for you dave um this, there seems to be some confusion on the Venus slash Seagull movement to include the Seagull store in Alibaba where they claim to use st 21 not st 19 What are your thoughts? The
2: st 21 is a three-dial uh, version of the st 19 So instead of two sub-dials, it has three. And it looks more like, I think if you saw an Alpha Paul Newman. Uh, which is like a, a homage to the Paul Newman chronograph. It would be a mechanical three dial chronograph, which is an ST21. The ST19 okay. is a two dial with no date.
0: And does the ST21 have any other improvement? Uh, well, any other differences like hacking or. You is it, can not...
2: get the ST21 with the. There's a couple of options for it. You can get it with a. Um, the swan neck regulator that I used on mine and there is now a st 21 automatic. Oh really? Yeah. Which is really going to, because it'll be available to micro brands. It will be something that a micro brand owner can get a automatic chronograph three dial for a reasonable price. Reasonable being, you know, over just over a hundred dollars per movement. So, if you buy, you know, five hundred movements at a time or whatever, but so yeah, it's they're they're doing some nice stuff for the the microbrand industry.
0: And you mentioned when we did our interview, but probably a, a nice leading question from that one is that there's multiple companies that are making clones of the ST nineteen, aren't there? It yeah. isn't just Seagull.
2: No, and you know the the Seagull. Uh, it was the Red Army chronograph, right? Yeah. So that design is actually owned by the People's Republic of China and the Red Army. Therefore, anyone who is a member of the the party could theoretically make that watch. I mean, it's not... The design is not owned by Seagull, I don't think. Right. So I I don't think anyone in China... Uh, is going to oppose a lot of people trying to make a similar watch to that because I think it's kind of public property.
0: Like ubiquitous, yeah. Okay. It's like their Um,
2: general, uh, what is it, the general original Chinese mechanical watch is a very generic first mechanical watch that they made in the 1950s. And uh, it's just a generic watch, but they're going to be remaking those or they are remaking them now.
0: I think somebody asked me to review one of these. Um, it's got like three stars on it. It's just a three hander, sort of mm-hmm. goldish color. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a oh, basic, maybe,
2: really basic watch, but it's got a nice. If you get one with a nice seagull movement, and it, it's it's pretty nice for a you know regular manual mechanical watch.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Steve, have you had a, a experience with these seagull movements? Yes. Yeah,
3: yeah, and I saw Todd saying hi in the comments. So I actually just had a um, a uh, one of the I guess 1963 chronographs. I, I, this is actually my second time owning it. Um, I, I actually sold it uh, again. So so I've sold it now twice. I've pur- purchased two and I've sold both of them. And it's not because uh, you know I had any sort of issue with them. In fact, I, I I absolutely love them. I think they are an amazing value for the money. I mean, it's hard to imagine that you can get in twenty twenty one a you know a manual wine chronograph at at the prices that these things sell for. Um, so, I mean, I I just think they're amazing. Again, I've never had any issues with them; they've always worked fine for me. But you know, I've also never owned them. I would say more than a couple of years at a time. So you know, I I don't have maybe the long term track record that others have had. But it, from what I've heard, it's kind of hit or miss in terms of the quality, and it depends on, you know, are you getting it from this company? Are you getting it from Alibaba? Is it from the company that's actually making the movements? Is it from a company that's, you know, um, copying the movements and and uh, uh, selling them somewhere else? So you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, these models out there, a lot of variations, and so it's really hard to understand, you know, which batch is better than the others, but. Um, You know, I think for someone like Dave, you know, you have to have confidence that you're going to, um, you know, be putting a good movement in your watches. And I think that if they weren't good, then people wouldn't be using them. So the fact that you still see a lot of companies using these movements really says a lot. Uh, It's it's probably the best option out there as far as a manual line chronograph that's, you know, relatively reasonably priced. And, you know, it seems to be reasonably uh, 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 reliable as well. So you know, people are using them.
0: Yeah. And it's-
2: I go ahead and, uh, you know, I have mine regulated before they ship them. And then when I get them and finish the assembly or customization, I check the regulation and can, because mine has the swan neck regulator, I can tweak mine a little if I need to. But I never ship one that's off by more than, you know, six or seven seconds per day. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're always within 10 seconds a day regulation. Um, And I think that's a big difference with like a micro brand. You know, we can do that. We, uh, you know, I ship, you know, like tonight I have to build two of those, right? It's two, right? I can can build two and tune them and make sure they're perfect before they go out. Mm -hmm. A bigger brand really can't do that.
3: Right. And I think it's also important to know that, you know, with these, movements this is not a brand new design you know for no. the 21st century this is 20th century technology <laughs> right. you know there's one they, right here <laughs> right you know i've i've got vintage chronographs and they they are just not meant to be chronometer spec and and i think you just kind of have to come into that as a buyer you know with the uh, assumption that this watch is probably not going to run exactly perfect all the time but i'm okay with that because it's such a neat piece you know and and if it has a display back i can see the the movement in the back and um it's just such a fun piece to wear so um you know i think as as long as you come to the with that mindset i think you know you'll be okay but if you're expecting quartz perfection
0: out of these watches it's just not going to happen it's just not it's not realistic absolutely well let's move on um lee you uh i'd love to ask you about this uh, article that you were you were featured in
1: yes of course
0: yeah so and this will probably a good topic for discussion but the the article you referenced on the facebook group and if anybody please come on over and join our facebook group it's a thriving community a lot of good chat on there as well and definitely uh, if you're not a member already then join join up we'd love to see you on there
1: yeah we have but, a lot of fun definitely come on over
0: yeah absolutely okay well do you want to take us through this article so it was on fratello's watches so on a very uh upmarket publication you were featured in here
1: yeah i uh had the good fortune of being interviewed uh by the author of the article and uh he included uh some of what i had to say about my collection um the article itself is about the nature of collecting and different collecting philosophies and people who like one brand or collecting every complication or um, certain vintages um, lots of different options for how to uh, look at a collection and Mm -hmm. my use of the uh, essentially two watch collection that i've been using this year of my date just and my explorer uh, was uh, highlighted as an example of not quite a one watch collection but close to a one watch collection
0: yeah and then um i mean what what was the premise of the article? Was it just that there was there's different types of collectors or was it that you know that that some people enjoy just having you know collecting one particular type of watch or what was what was the kind of premise of it
1: yeah it was looking at uh kind of how different personalities go about different styles of collecting and some people for example like having a lot of turnover and seeing a lot of new watches as they come out and some people like uh holding on to something for a long time and really getting to know that one piece um and just how different people approach the hobby and just kind of what it says about you as a person and how you you look at the hobby and how different folks find enjoyment in this this interesting thing we do
0: Yeah, it's like I mean, you know, anybody who's watched my channel for five minutes knows that I'm the one that the churn, the churn, and the churn and sell. I like, I like the new watches, and also with the Mm -hmm. ones that that come in for review as well. Um, it was funny going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I just watched Agent at Bark and Jack review the video was something along the lines of why people dislike Hublot. And he made, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting video, like pl- plug to Adrian Bark and Jack, but he made an interesting comment about watch collectors where he says the reason that watch collectors, and I'll see whether you guys agree with this, the reason why watch collectors don't necessarily like Hublot is because Hublot is made for people that want to flex their money and that it's its a brand that's predominantly bought by non-watch enthusiasts because there's nothing like a hustle herodological Herod- significance i huh, can't say that it's all to do the price he said the price is a feature of the watch not just the watch Is of the movement is the feature or the hands but what do you think of that do you, th- do you think he's right there in-, in terms of some of these like really high-end luxury brands that are perhaps overlooked by watch collectors like Hublot or
1: yeah i think when you're looking at some of the brands like a, like a Moser or an MBNF that Mm -hmm. are higher end that don't get as much uh, press coverage necessarily outside of the hobby. Uh, And then you look at something like a Hublot, which you can see uh, all over celebrity culture. I know uh, Hublot was a big sponsor in F1 for a long time. Um, I think people are definitely buying the, the status of the Hublot more than they are the quality of the, the watch itself. Not that Hublot isn't a, an excellent quality watch, but I think it's like buying a Ferrari. If you don't know yeah. anything about cars, you still know Ferrari is a great car. If you don't know anything about watches, you know, you know, Rolex is good. You know, Hublot is good. Yeah. You might not know Vacheron, but you probably know Hublot.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because one of the ones he reviewed was a Big Bang chronograph that was ten ten thousand pounds, so let's say fourteen thousand dollars or something, and it featured a ETA chronograph movement in there, which is you know a couple of hundred dollars. But he was saying that that would appall a, a watch collector that that movement was being you know. It, for, for a watch in four thousand dollar price range then it's, it's ideal but for that price and it was interesting because he was saying that this it, that's an example of why people that buy Hublot that the price is a feature they're flexing the price but i mean steve have you ever i've never even seen a Hublot. in i mean i've seen them in the window mm-hmm. but i've never held one have you ever seen one in person never, never um. once Dave, have you have you ever seen one?
2: No, no. And, uh, you know, t- I guess to that point between the watch collector at versus or watch enthusiast, you know, I would see somebody with like a, a Zenith and I would say, you know, most people wouldn't, you know, the average Joe Blow at the diner is not, may not know what that is. But any watch collector sees a guy with a Zenith on and goes, that guy knows what he's, knows what he's got. Yeah. That's a great watch for the money. Thank you. The money. <laughs> It, mm-hmm. it is i was actually just looking at the the website and their new version of the el primero and i was like oh i may need one but
0: oh yeah the uh the um that uh god i forget the name is it chrono yeah, chrono master chrono yes. master yeah mm-hmm. oh it's stunning it, it, <laughs> it, the more i have to stop looking at it because and i think ten thousand dollars which is a hell of a lot of money but as it's I know you shouldn't say it's like the Zenith Daytona, but as it's pitted up to the Daytoner I don't know. I mean, I know why you would pick a Daytoner over that, but, it, you know, for, for the money, but pound for pound, it seems like the much better option uh, in there. Yeah. yeah and again, really I nice. think it's
2: a watch collector's watch enthusiast's watch.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: Whereas, you know, some of the other ones that we're talking about that are super expensive, but maybe not... They Don't have a unique movement or they don't have the horological history. Um, you know, they're, they're more um trend setting, you know, they're trendier watches right now, which is great. I mean, sometimes trendy watches become you know
1: the the, the next
2: Rolex, you never know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, that makes, that makes me think of something like uh Bulgary with the Octo Finissimo, which i mean it's kind of on that edge of is it fashion is it horology i think they're amazing i would love to uh have an octofinissimo in hand but i know yeah. a lot of people consider them basically fashion watches
0: yeah it's an incredible that is a lesson in simplicity of design isn't it but creating something mm-hmm. u- unique i mean it's uh yeah i i'd love to see one of those in person I don't know um I don't know how how where where I would get one whether they sell them through the, the Bulgari fashion stores the ones that I've been in they don't seem to have watches but um do a couple of shout outs so Bobby thanks for joining us mate Bobby is the uh, member of the Facebook group who is lucky enough to own every single version of the Speedmaster Snoopy incredible you'll you'll have to come on Bobby one day and, and talk about it we'd love to have you on
2: now that is a specific form of collecting to the the point that we yes. were just talking about.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I imagine it would be extremely hard if you it, to to collect those Snoopy ones now because some of them I think there's people just chancing their arm on Chrono 24, isn't there? Because I've seen one of the versions, not not the most recent one, but the previous version where they come kind for of like forty-six thousand dollars or something on chrono twenty-four. I don't know if that's somebody just in their chancing their arm there. it could um, be yeah yeah. i
2: mean those ultra rare ones i think are uh you know they've just become so desirable um that you know somebody that had the foresight to start snagging those or you know that really loved the snoopy version you know let's say five ten years ago you could could have probably picked up you know a lot of the more vintage
0: ones for a reasonable amount well and, and that's a good point about omega isn't it because If you, you would have had to have liked Snoopy to buy, uh, uh, when the first one came out, you would have had to have liked Snoopy to buy it because there were so many limited editions. You would have been shooting in the dark, wouldn't you, if you were trying to pick one that was going to be valuable later, later down the line. I mean, now we know Snoopy since the first or second one, but that very first one, you probably would have had to have been as equally a Snoopy fan as, because you could have just picked I mean, you would think that that Apollo one where it had the medallion of um, Mm -hmm. the engraving of Apollo, but you you hardly ever see anybody talk about those. But that was incredible at the time. Or that suitcase they did with all of the Apollo missions, like Mm -hmm. um, medallions on each one. You never hear anybody talking about that one. Or I mean, they're just the countless ones.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, if you were a huge Bond fan, would you have gotten all of the Omega Bond versions, Uh, you know, I never see those, you know, they've been making that, the 007 version since what, the the 90s? Yes, it's GoldenEye, was it? Yeah, GoldenEye, right? So, uh, but, you know, I don't see somebody that has, oh, I've got every one of the Omega Bond versions. I've, I've not heard of that targeted of a collection. I've heard of people that have every Bond watch, you know, from the original, you know, the Rolex to the you know, the current Omega Seamaster and all of the digitals in the seventies, which are, yeah. as you know, I've got two of those.
0: <laughs> well, and, and that, that one-off Breitling that they made, that huge yeah. um, Breitling with the extra, the extra piece on that was like a depth depth gauge. I can't even remember yeah. what film that was in. Was it Thunderball or something where he had that, that one-off custom. I think it was. Breitling. Um, somebody here, uh, was saying that several years ago, he was wearing a watch on an air flight and was mistaken for a Hublot. In reality, it was a, a three hundred dollars quartz. <laughs> I honestly, it's because obviously we get kindly, um, I get kindly asked to review a, a lot of watches, and it's amazing how many micro brands have gone for that Hublot look. And I think it's a shame, actually, because I think there's maybe somebody that's making these aftermarket hublot cases, but they're gravitating towards that that hublot look. Um, I, in fact, I think I even might have replied to somebody saying it's a shame that you've kind of gone this this route with it. But, um
3: people want people want what they can't have, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I definitely felt that way when I first started collecting. You know, going after homage watches, and I think you know that uh, that's a large part why the homage uh, industry exists is because you know people want uh, that Rolex, you know, and they can't afford it. So why not buy a Starnhart? Why not buy something else that you know has that look and has that feel? Um, You know, if I can get it for less, that's great. Or you know, maybe I want to get this watch at some point in the future, but I'm not sure if I want to truly own it so uh you know this is kind of like a uh training wheels is to kind of get the homage version first to see if you really like it obviously it's a little bit different with who probably if you're uh buying one of those you don't really even care about the 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 price in the first place but um yeah that's interesting i I don't blame people for wanting to buy that you know there's always going to be that that market out there for them
0: yeah and I, I, we could do a whole other one on on homage watches because you know my kind of view on it. But uh, you know, I think that even buying a homage of a certain watch because there's no certainly a Rolex because there's no real comparison in quality between the you know I mean they're worlds apart, isn't there? There's not like a narrow gap between a Steinhardt and a Rolex. There's a there's a whole. I mean. You, People will argue that there's not, but there's definitely whole So, whether it would whether it would put you off saving for the real thing, because that was the argument when people used to pirate music, wasn't it? It's like, oh, just I'm just trying the album out just to see if I like it, and then <laughs> Metallica are like, no, buy our music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, deservedly so. Well, it, and guys, keep the the questions coming in. But we had an interesting one on the Facebook group the other day, and. I am going, I'm going to, uh, let me find who actually asked it, but it was, um, is there a watch? Oh yeah, it was um, Richard, you know who you are on Facebook group. It was, is there a watch in your collection that you don't often wear, but when you go back to it or when you discover it or when you look at it you you really like it again and you're like oh my i really i'm glad that i bought this my i'll I'll kick this off mine is definitely my seiko turtle i don't wear it all the time and it's kind of stored away in a box but when i pick it up and i look at it i'm like wow that's a really good watch but I, i must like forget each time i suppose it's like when i watch um you know like i guess a star wars film or something and you you've even though you've watched it a hundred times, you still forget, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is a good film." But mine's like the turtle; I always go back to it. That's why I probably would never sell this because every time I go back to it, I'm like, "Wow, that's a really well designed watch." But is there ones, guys? I mean, Steve, I suppose I'll start with you. Is there one in your collection that will never leave because you just, when you pick it up, you're just reminded of why you bought it in, in the in the first place.
3: Well, I can't say that I'll never leave because I'm a lot like you in the fact that I go through watches frequently and to kind of uh, answer uh, Lee's uh, response in a roundabout way about, you know, collecting, uh, uh, you know, the way that you collect. I mean, I feel that a collection is kind of a living and breathing thing, and so I'm constantly adding and removing pieces from that list. But this is one that that I purchased about um, maybe two years ago uh, it's very hard oh, to yeah. see i apologize it's a breitling geneve uh chronograph uh basically it was in the old sock condition when i got it and um you know i i really love 1970s era chronographs with these sort of barrel shaped cases um and uh you know this one there's there's actually quite an interesting story behind it um I don't really wear gold watches that much. I mean, I feel like I really have to be in a mood to wear it. So I almost never wear this watch, but Hmm. when I do wear it, I love wearing it because it just sparkles so much and it, it just has such great presence. And um, you know, I just think it's such a a neat piece to own. Um, You know, I don't know if I'll keep it forever, but you know, I really do enjoy having it. I think everyone should have at least one gold watch in their collection, especially a gold chronograph because it's just, such a statement piece and so I just really enjoy, you know, uh putting this thing on and and, uh it's got a Valjeu seventy seven thirty six three register movement so it's a lot of fun to wear. Um and uh yeah I just I I really do like it but I almost never wear it.
0: Wow. Dave have you got one that you that you always go back to that you've had a while.
3: Yeah, my, uh, I have
2: a date just, um, that is, uh, a blue dial Roman numeral date just with a fluted bezel. It's a 36 Mm -hmm. millimeter. It, and I got mine in, it was around, it was around 2000 that I bought it. So it's, you know, I've had it for, she's 21 years now. And, um, Mm -hmm. at the time I bought it, it was already a 10 year old watch. It was a 1990 model. But remember, I'm buying a 36 millimeter Rolex in 2000 when the trend was buy big watches. Everybody wanted a big watch. And I'm like, no, I wanted a classic date just, and I wanted it because I again I saw a picture of Martin Luther King wore a gold one, exactly the same with the Roman numerals, all gold, gold band. Um, I think uh, Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy wore. The one like I have, they have a either a blue dial or a black dial Roman numeral version, and so I was looking for one of those, and I happened to cro- cross the used one, and uh, it was it was beautiful. I took it to the my Rolex AD to have it checked out, and they were like, "This is amazing! How much are you paying for it?" And I'm like, "I'm not telling you." <laughs> it was you know only a couple thousand dollars at the time, and uh, it was. A, It was in spectacular shape. So the person really wanted to get rid of it, needed the money, you know, the uh, economy was a little slow. So anyway, I got it. I'm very happy with it. It was my first luxury timepiece I ever bought. Uh, Before then, it was all Seiko's and uh, fashion watches. So that was Mm -hmm. my first real luxury timepiece. And I love it. I just wore it last week for a, a business meeting. And I just find that it's when I put it on, I'm like, "Yeah, I did really good buying this, and it was a kind of a celebration for me of a big business deal." So it's one of those things that has uh, meaning to me and a memory for me. So that goes a long way for me. The nostalgia of collecting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lee, is there one one of yours that you've? I know you're down to two watches now. But...
1: Uh, yeah, I I don't. Th- I would say for me, it's not a specific watch, but, uh, a brand, uh, yeah. swatch. I actually oh, yeah. Yeah. just picked up, uh, a U S Olympics, uh, swatch, uh, on clearance from, uh, after the Olympic games. Uh, I just, I love swatch. They. They they remind me of my childhood. I remember being a little kid and my cool older cousins getting swatches for their birthdays. And it just, they're, they're not fancy. They're not expensive, but they, they just give me a lot of joy. And it's hard to own just one though. Exactly. Yeah. At the price point, (laughs) it's, it's fun to, to just pick them up and just have them because they're, they're fun
4: right
0: yeah it's amazing i mean i'd like to fantasize that throughout my youth i had you know fond memories of people wearing rolexes and stuff like that and that's not the case my mum always wore a she's got a uh, she's got a, a nicer watch now but for years she only ever wore black swatch with the white dial she had she had multiple of them i remember when i was at school in well this is going to date me now but late say late 80s and they had the pop swatches and you could actually put them through your jumper so it looked like you were you didn't have to wear them on or they came on that elastic strap but they kind of had a a compress uh a friction case, and you could actually put pop them through your t shirt so it looked like you were wearing a watch there. So that was the huge trend at the time. And then for years, I wore a swatch, um, irony one at uh, uh, the first time the metal ones came out. This, um, for years, this metal uh, swatch irony, but and then I remember fondly when they bought that I, I don't know if they still make it, but that skin one, that crazy thin watch that's one or two millimeters I think in but yeah I think like (laughs) childhood memories are more to do with the plastic swatches than than anything uh anything posh like a a Rolex or anything my my certainly my uh, granddad or my my granddad had a lot of mechanical watches and I've got his uh, his LCD watch but um there was no kind of Rolexes or Omegas I think I was the first in the family to buy a, a luxury watch so to speak but
1: yeah,
2: Lee, do you have a picture of you from as a kid with like six of them in different colors <laughs> on your arm?
1: I'm, I'm positive my mom does. yes. <laughs> <laughs> on some family vacation where yes. I made her stop in at a, you know a swatch shop in Miami or something on the way to the beach. Yes. Yeah, that was this is the that... thing, right? Everybody wore multiples of them. Oh, in absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I, I remember uh, one of my cousins had to have a different swatch to match her outfit. Whatever she was wearing, purple got to have the purple swatch. Green got to have the green swatch. Oh yeah,
0: it's uh, it's funny because the sw- the the swatch advert of the '80s should have been the opposite of the Patek one, where the Patek one is, you know, you never actually own a Patek; you're just keeping it for the next. The uh, the swatch one should have been this watch will be lucky if it lasts 15 years. (laughs) You are the only (laughs) owner this watch will have because the plastic is going to deteriorate. Obviously, the the plastic technology has got so much better now, but Mm -hmm. I remember those early swatches. I mean, I I keep flirting with trying to track down the original Keith Haring uh, ones, the graffiti artist ones, but Mm -hmm. you cannot find them uh, in a decent condition for... uh, They're all... Because they're irreparable. Is that, they're unrepairable aren't they because right. they were yeah. built backwards they're glued together aren't they mm-hmm. i think yeah they... I,
2: I had one that the crystal cracked uh, a swatch and i i did i mean i work on watches a lot and i could mm-hmm. not for the life of me get that thing to go back together correctly mm-hmm. and uh you know because tr- you have to get the move the crystal off to no. get at any of the movement or anything because mm-hmm. you can't take the movement out from the backside so yeah it was it was a mess i was like okay i must obviously i don't know what i'm doing with this particular plastic watch because that thing was mangled by the time i tried to get it apart
0: yeah i had a pager one a swatch pager watch Swatch Ooh, the beat, it was called well i found it a couple of, I, I still had it in my parents loft i found it and i tried to pull out the um the battery tray because it took that huge that cr2023 a massive my breitling takes that for an example but And I just pulled the thing and it it just, the whole thing just felt a bit. uh, It was, it was, (laughs) yeah. I think even when I had it, it was, um, it had cracked a little bit. But that thing, it only ever works for a set period when the the British Telecom at the time let that band, but they opened up the bandwidth and gave it a phone number. But when that thing went off, the alarm was unbelievable. But I thought I was... (laughs) So I thought it was James Bond. I had a watch with a pager on it. And then you had all the pager codes, like boobs and stuff you could send to people. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> or or then if you had the one on the, on the belt as well. Oh, yeah. I had a um,
1: belt pager. I remember those days. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you had to, to, to run to a phone or whatever.
2: Well, if you yeah, were was... really cool, you had the light up belt pager. That was like, that was. Oh, yeah. That was f- fancy.
0: Oh, I let, Chris, somebody's asked where Chris is and Chris, unfortunately, he couldn't, he couldn't make it today. He's, he's, um, he's away with his wife, but he talks about that, how special he felt with the, the one with the crazy lights on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it was, it was crazy for us. Cause I remember um, we had the pages and then we went into a whole phase in the UK of the Nokia phones mm-hmm. where Nokia was bringing a new phone out every couple of weeks you all, it, and it, they were constantly evolving and then whenever i would visit america whenever i would visit america before i moved here everyone seemed to have a, like one generic clamshell phone it seemed like the nokia craze hadn't quite hit this was sort of late 90s early 2000s everyone just had one and they would all speak to it like like a tele- like a star trek telecom line right, in front of their mm-hmm. face the oh brick yeah i've actually todd is here so todd thanks for joining us oh there we go
4: can you hear me? Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. I was here, and then we had a small emergency, and I had to bug out, and then I'm back.
0: Oh, it's yeah. Hopefully, uh, the fire was put out. Was it? Or mm. hopefully, it wasn't an emergency of flooding or something.
4: <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no alarms were were uh, were
0: called, so we're in good shape. What, Todd, you missed the you missed the wristwatch check. So you're gonna have to do it now. What what, okay. you, what you what are you wearing? Well, and I think your guests would appreciate this.
4: Seiko. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, Ooh,
4: it's pogue. It's a true pogue. It's nice. actually the same exact model that Colonel Pogue wore uh, on uh, on the Skylab uh, mission. So I've been very fortunate to find this one and, and have it restored.
2: Yeah, it looks like the the dial and the rehole and everything are all. In beautiful color, which is rare because usually the real is very faded.
4: Exactly. And so sometimes you can used to be able to find them, new old stock, and they're almost impossible to find now. There's a little bit of a halo around the sub dial, Mm -hmm, which is normal. Uh, These gold dials kind of do this. But uh, yeah, this is the uh, 6139-6005 from September of 1971, which is the same month and year that the Colonel's was. So it's so, on the same
2: batch, basically. It's on
4: the same batch. And oh, so wow. it's uh, just a fortunate piece. I, I hunt these. I'm a hunter. Uh, you know, Some people do big games. Some people do deer. Steve is involved with this a little bit, too, because he and I send stuff. Uh, I've bought some stuff from him. But uh, it's fun to go, and you search the world for these things. And you find them, you know, and then uh, you find rare models, or you find parts ones. You could put something together.
2: Yeah, my uh, my Bond digital watch that I'm looking at across the room right now is like that. I found a beautiful case and band mm-hmm. and it had everything in it. Um, when I got it, the, the module was working, but just the, the LCD was just gone.
4: Yeah, they're gone. Usually they're hard yeah. to find working. Mm-hmm.
2: So I found a guy in Greece who had just bought out an, an old Seiko store and I bought his lcds that he had left for this model and uh i bought two of them that was all that was left new old stock and sure enough one of them dropped on and fired right up i was so happy
4: that's fantastic that's a great watch
2: that's it's a very rare watch
0: Mm -hmm. it is a very rare watch working yeah (laughs) it's it's a phenomenon isn't it like in a world where Everything is so easy to buy online now. It seems like as watch collectors, we seek out that pain of, (laughs) we seek out the pain of not being able, you know, if there's something we can't find, we lust after it more. Mm -hmm. I know. I need the pain of really searching for something. (laughs) (laughs) And then, Todd, the other thing, the other question we had, which was on the Facebook group, was, is there a watch that you own that you will never get rid of because you forget how much you like it, and then you'll go back to it, like, weeks or months later, and you're like, oh, I really actually like that watch. Like, why don't I
4: wear it more? Oh, oh, oh. So what were the other select? I have some of my
0: watches in my case in front of me. Hold on here. Um, Well, well, I started off with the Turtle, and then I got top-trumped by everybody from then onwards. (laughs) Yeah, I think I put in the Facebook group, my Vostok, um,
4: Uh, which I didn't bring down with me. Uh, That's one, you know, because it kind of gets overwhelmed with all the other things that you have. Like I, uh, Dave probably doesn't know, I have um, about 35 versions of these Seiko speed timers. And so I rotate through them and you know like this you know I try try to get them in not obviously every month but i try to get them in close to that so and then i have my other swiss watches and stuff like that too so the vostok sometimes sits there and then i look at it, i'm like oh that's such a cool watch and so you know i put it on and and it's it's fun to wear it's modded and that sort of thing but
2: this todd this is the one i was
4: oh about. look at that mm-hmm. oh yeah Seiko Quartz, you've got. Wow. Oh, you've got the. So cool. Oh, that is cool. And you've got it in the box, and you've got the uh, ticker tape thing that it mm-hmm. punched out in the movie. Yeah, right? and
2: exactly. Yeah, That's in the cool. Bond film, it said
0: 007 to report HQ. Oh, wow. So cool. That what is was that a promotional item. Then they included in the box. No, I had it made. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is Ticker so tape. How hard is that to <laughs> cool. make? <Come> on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that looks really. good. I thought it might be like a promotional thing they included with the watch at I the time, so too. You know, to, to shift more. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. No, no, you can. It's just a ticker tape. It that, is yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> that is. Yeah. So that uh, is so neat. A fun um, one to cr- put back together.
0: Yeah, Chris and I um, made a. I made a comment on the uh, the the normal show, the casual watch talk show, the other day about a Casio F F one hundred. I think that they'd reissued, and I I need to. I need to apologise to everyone um, because I said I would like this. I said I don't like it, but I'd like it more if it was tied to a movie. And everyone's like, "Yeah, dude, it was in Aliens." Right, it was yeah. so. Oh. <laughs> suddenly, now I like it, but you just totally reminded me of it, Dave. Because yeah. I made a comment like, oh, "I wish it was. I wish it was like a prop watch," and everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was in Aliens. I've purged myself. I've said. I've apologized to the masses. Um, a, a, another. Uh, we've only got a couple of a couple of minutes here left, but another story that Chris and I uh, covered that I think. I would love to get your guys opinions on is the one about Panerai where they had that limited edition watch that they then you could only get if you went on this extreme sports experience with them. You got hand selected, you got the watch and then they took you on this like rock climbing adventure. And apparently they've done a couple now as watch collectors, we love the idea of a watch that has a special meaning to it or, or perhaps that was involved in, uh, Todd, prime example, your Pogue there was involved in a, you know, historically significant event. What do you think of Panerai almost forcing that experience? Like, com- they re- they realise you like to have an experience, so they're forcing the, ex- not maybe not forcing it, you selected, but they're, they're tying the experience to the watch. It's not something mm-hmm. that you've experienced alongside the watch. What do, what do you guys think of that? I think it's a good idea, or?
2: I always say that A collectible is something that was meant to be a utilitarian item that becomes desirable for some reason, cultural significance or tied to a historic event, or it just nostalgia brings it about as being collectible. Um, Those items that are released as collectibles rarely ever are actually
0: collectible. (laughs) Yeah, I was watching yeah, something on cool. the, uh, the the Beanie Babies phenomenon <laughs> and how it all just completely tanked. Like, everyone was crazy about it. But yeah. uh, 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 the Panerai question, I mean, Steve, have you got a... Uh, no, well, you I, know, you it's funny because
3: when you mentioned that, I immediately thought of the Martin Baker um, uh, uh, limited edition, I guess, that uh, Vermont has. Um, you know, and, and I think that's a really cool... Thing, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, for everyone who doesn't know, or for those of you that do, uh, if you are in a Martin Baker ejection seat, they make ejection seats for aircraft and you get to use it, you know, you actually eject from the plane, Vermont will give you one of these watches. So that's, you know, a watch directly tied to an experience, but not necessarily you wearing the watch at that particular time. And I, I think that's really neat, you know, because they don't sell this watch to the general public. It's something you can only get. this experience i do see what you're saying about the um you know panerai i think it's very contrived and um you know obviously it sounds like a publicity stunt um you know i I think uh if if you really um want the watch and you want to go through the experience then by all means i mean you know bmw does the same thing where you can purchase Mm -hmm. a car uh in germany and drive it in europe for a while and then send it back to the u.s so i can i can kind of understand that a little bit, but. Uh it does seem a little contrived.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, it feels to me almost like you're buying you're paying for this trip and they kind of throw in a watch as like your gift on the way out. Um I guess for me it'd be like the equivalent of like going up Mount Everest and then when you get done they hand you a Rolex Explorer. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really feel special to me. It feels like it feels contrived like you were saying. It feels like the experience is made so that they can give you this prize instead right. of letting the experience
0: naturally happen. Yeah, Th- that was my view on it as well, actually. I don't know, Todd, what do you think on that?
4: Yeah, I was thinking Steve, uh, Steve's point too. I was thinking like my uncle bought a new Corvette and uh, you get to take it out on the proving ground. And uh, I think Chevrolet has it somewhere in Kentucky trying to remember where where it is you pick it up there bowling green bowling green that's right thank you yeah bowling green you get to do this and they do just this whole you know tour thing with it and it's, it's a pretty cool experience but the experience was the car was part of the experience obviously it's it's the nature of the experience um i think to your point i think it's a little contrived uh they're trying a little too hard i think with this although evidently they seem to be successful at least in terms of selling these very expensive vacations that you get a watch out of when you're done um but yeah i'm, I'm kind of the same thought process i think as you guys
0: yeah dave you you you're similar you, you think along the same lines
2: yeah i just think it's it's a it's not really a collectible watch um because it's purposely built to be a collectible and those things mm-hmm. never are collectible I think the the experience, if you if you love doing those things, and you get a watch out of it, you know that's cool, and that watch will be a great memory for you of the event. Mm. But does that make the watch any more valuable? No, no, absolutely
0: not. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes it more. But the one I think I read the one that they did do, which I thought was in keeping, was a, they did a training experience with the um, marine Militaire, the Italian oh, yeah, right. navy, which is is kind of in fitting with what they what they want well let's um let's just finish up with a couple of questions here so bobby's got a very important question here he's saying ridley's aliens or jane uh, alien or james cameron's aliens Ooh, ridley ridley
1: yeah uh i think alien is a better movie but i i enjoy aliens more
0: I enjoy aliens. When she's in that mech at the end, I mean, that's just—I mean, that's that's cinematic gold. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'd love one of those Seiko's. Actually, the 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 um mm-hmm. the you know the Ripley Seiko, but they're great. It's funny because TGV at the time was talking about the, talking up that watch, wasn't he? And they were still available for three hundred dollars or something. And now they're well over a thousand dollars. Um. Let's see if we've got any other questions. So, yeah, somebody's uh, saying uh, that uh, rich people get bored, so panorized, you know, <laughs> dialing into that. Um, yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> here you are. So... Not so obvious watches. Is it possible to sell a new watch in 2021 with a story that isn't contrived or a history or backstory? Mm. That's an interesting one. I, I think you're think right. It is. It's Anybody tough. want to jump on that one? <laughs> no, I mean,
2: that's tough because, like, for me as a micro brand owner, you know, if you don't have a story or if you're not connecting it to a movie or you're not connecting it or you're not selling a straight up homage or a homage, or you're not trying to do a, um, you know, a story of some sort, whether it's a personal story or something, um, those, it it is hard to get somebody to buy something that there's no uh, story behind. There's no reason to buy it. There's so many other very similar product out there. You need a reason to buy it. And for me, watch collecting, and for most people, I believe, collecting in general Is about that feeling of nostalgia that you Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. from collecting. And uh, if you have a story that elicits a sense of nostalgia from somebody, it really helps with that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think that's the difference contrivance versus nostalgia. One of them feels very cynical, one of them feels very natural. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I got somebody, I won't say who it is, but somebody messaged me. Asking him if to do a review this week. And the story was ridiculous. It, I mean, I just reply <laughs> back. I'm like, I'm not this. It was a, like a generic, um, fashion watch. They made this thing about how it had unique styling and all of that. And it was like, no, this is a, this is an Alibaba watch. Just own, own that fact. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was disrupting um, the industry. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You're not disrupting the industry. It wasn't two friends in a bar who came up with this idea. It, I, 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 I won't name and shame them, but it, the backstory was just, it was ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> it was like, no, nobody's going to believe that. Right. Right. Well, I was going to
4: show this one because, you know, we all know, yeah, we all know that some uh, some manufacturer of this uh, you know, wants to remind us that it went to the moon a lot. And so, in fact, you know, as we all well know, on the back of it, which you can't see here, it's, this is the Hesalite, so it does say First watch worn on the moon. This is the last of the 1861s, uh, from 2020. I was able to 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 get a good deal on it. But the point is that what really makes this so appealing, I mean it's a great watch, but the technology is something that's from the 60s. It's a cam driven chronograph. When I when I start it, you get that little shift, quickie little shift in the second hand, the chrono second hand, because of the way the cam levers operate. Where actually Mm -hmm. the Seiko, you don't because it's a it's a vertical clutch system. Uh, so it's actually a little bit, you know, I guess it's what the, it's what the Lamania 321 was before they, they made it a little bit, you know, less fragile and made it into the 861 before this. But the story this tells, right, is, is awesome. I have like a little model Saturn rocket over here. I've got, you know, (laughs) I've got space books over here. And, and so just like, wow, you know, this is the same model, you know, more or less right going to the moon that means something i guess to
0: us in some way to, yeah. to dave's point right i totally agree and I, one day i'll have to do a video on this but i mean i mentioned it in that uh top 10 things about this the Speedmaster you may not know but mm-hmm. omega have almost obscured armstrong from any of the marketing even mm-hmm. though i know buzz was the first to wear it on the moon but Armstrong's story is as powerful. I mean, the the timer broke, so he left his like if his if his speedmaster hadn't been left behind, they might have been left on the moon forever because they needed to to time <laughs> yeah. it properly. So if anything, they should be having any. I mean, perhaps it's also because uh, uh, thankfully Buzz Aldrin's still alive, so he can obviously attend events and things like that. But it's funny how he's kind of um, Armstrong is kind of missed from a lot of the the uh the sake um the speedmaster marketing even though arguably his is the strongest story to do with the, the speedmaster but um... well,
2: yeah and what about the uh oh, what's his name the commander that was in the control module oh, you know orbiting yeah. yeah i mean he was the one actually timing the the intercept otherwise they would have mm-hmm. just bounced off and
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: crashed back into the moon and he i'm pretty sure he used the speedmaster for some of those maneuvers
0: right yeah absolutely mm-hmm. That that must be crazy, wouldn't it? Because I guess, I mean, even though the Speedmaster had been so through all that rigorous testing, I mean, still when they took it to space, they probably had, you know, it was probably had a, you know, a slit, you know, not a full hundred percent confidence that the watches would work right. as, as they were supposed to, because but uh, I know they weren't the first into space, but it was uh, when they Still went. Still putting the a lot of faith like in your technology. E- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, guys, that was um, that was really interesting. We're we're at the hour now. Thank you for everyone that joined in. And any last words from anyone before I, I cut anyone off?
2: No. Oh, uh, Sam, I just wanted to mention to the group uh, for all of the Detroit Mint watches that we've been kind of talking about or I show every once in a while. I've added a 20% discount for the casual watch review channel and the followers. If anyone wants to check out the Detroit Mint watches and wants to grab one, there's a type in the word casual at checkout in your coupon code and you get 20% off any watch in the store.
0: Well, thanks for doing that, Dave. Yeah, I'll include that link in the um, description. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks everyone. We're going to end the live stream. Live stream now. Thank you all for joining in, and we'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk.
3: Bye, everybody, guys Bye bye. Thank you. Guys.